Welcome to the Paul Hickey Podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this interview with Nashville entrepreneur, pioneer, Sloan Scott. <laughs> like, low, like, no fancy, no level of fancy at all. It's just Doesn't need straight to up. Right. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm a big lo-fi person. I okay. don't think you need a bunch of bells and whistles. Okay. Or they wouldn't make We're, technologies that's this good. We've right? talked for a total of, like, 15 minutes in our life, and you've said everything you've said I totally agree with. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well. Because, um... Yeah, like clients will get kind of intimidated about, well, how do we create content? And I'm just kind of saying, just go ahead and like start this. creating. Right. Is that, yeah. do you yeah. agree with that? Okay. To a certain extent, yeah. yeah. What's your take? I mean, there's a that? balance on that. Uh, I think, you know, working in the business of healthcare, yeah. there's, what I've learned over time is there's certain types of content where it does make sense to mm-hmm. maybe put a little bit more of an investment yeah. in what, where I would spend that money is on the expertise around it. So not necessarily the tech that enables it, but the expertise. So building explainer videos, there is a science to that Mm -hmm. and doing it in the right way with the right content and the right tone and those types of things. That's where I think it makes sense. But again, you can get a great explainer video done for like three grand. Yeah. I mean, thank you. You don't need totally. You know, what I always tell clients, and it's, it's always the interesting part of the content conversation, right? Because it, in, inevitably, no matter what vertical you're in, everybody's always looking at what their competitors are doing and thinks, well, maybe we should just do that. Well, to me, with vi- especially when it comes to video content, unless you can really put a content budget towards a consistent cadence of creating that video, in putting it out on a regular basis, it doesn't make sense to do it. Because if you put one thing out there in the universe and then you never come back to it, you just put it out there in the universe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where sometimes, I don't know if you've had that experience, but sometimes I've learned that where people are like, well, I didn't realize I actually need to put a budget to it. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to do that, yes. Now, can we do a couple of things at the beginning and then as... You create more opportunities. We can set aside more budget to do it. Yes, of course. Yes. There's there's lots of ways to sort of slice and dice that. Yeah, but. exactly. Now this is Sloan Scott from the Punching Nun Group. Oh. We're on the Paul Hickey podcast. Can I say from the Punching Nun Group? Yeah, absolutely. And okay, great. And she is an amazing uh, digital marketer and business strategist. And this is exactly why I love talking to people like you because and getting together and sharing ideas and best practices because. I think the same. I think about the same things that you're thinking about and talking about as it relates to how to create content, the investment, and how you need to put consistent content out there. That was going to be my next question for you, and you answered it right away. And yeah, my whole thesis is that if if you're not consistent with it in having more than just that one video or more than just that one piece of content then how are people gonna find you? And it's kind of like web design and development too. I think a lot of, like my experience going back, I don't know, like uh, eight or nine years, whatever, of of building websites, like back then, and even more, like it's still happening now, is like the expectation was kind of, okay, can you build me a website or let's build this and then let's just watch the traffic grow, right? And so, and 
there's still sometimes that thought process sure. that we have to coach, um, depending on who we're working with around, right. okay, give people a consistent reason right. to engage with your brand and, and, and become an advocate of your brand. And it's harder than ever now uh, to kind of break through everything. But um, yeah, I'm just wondering like, we, we have a little bit of time to talk about all of those things, but before we get into that, like, let's take some time and just kind of get to know you a little bit, um, a little bit about you personally and professionally. Sure. Tell us anything and everything you want to about you and your career. Uh, sure. So, you know, I guess I'll start at the beginning. It's always a good place to start. Uh, I started my first company at 13. So, and it was really for no other reason than I wanted to go to Europe for the summer of my 16th birthday. And my dad had uh, worked a lot in Europe, so we had families that I could go stay with. And I just always wanted to travel like that and said, I'm going to do that. And knew I couldn't make enough money babysitting. I couldn't make enough money, you know, working in retail, that kind of thing. I was too young, so there were all kinds of parameters back then about that. Um, and I just said, all right, well, what's the one thing I know how to do? Well, I love to cook. So I started cooking with my grandmother in her kitchen um, from the time I could stand in, on a little stool and reach the counter. So I love to cook. So what I said is, you know what? I'm going to cater and cook meals for folks. And the only meal that I really could do because I was still in school was dinner. So I called the company Dinner and basically went through my mom and dad's friends. My dad helped me set up a bank account and I would create the menu, cook, clean. It was an all cash business. And that's how I made enough money to go to Europe for the summer of my 16th birthday. You did it. Yeah, I did it. That's did amazing. It. And, and I you knew that at age 13, that yeah. that was your goal to go at age that's 16. That's all I wanted to do. And that was what you wanted yeah. to do. And then I figured out once I'd done that, I went, okay, well I can do other things as well. So not only did I make enough money to go to Europe, I also made enough money to put myself through college. No way. So, yeah, That's so awesome. tried the tried the college thing. Uh, it didn't work for me. Okay. I got bored about a year and a half in and dropped out. Okay. Um, and decided I wanted to take the cooking career and keep going. So I went to culinary school uh, and graduated and worked for exactly 30 days as a chef. Um, I worked okay. under an apprentice chef in Chicago who's pretty well known. and. He said to me after 30 days, he said, and he was really my first mentor, so that was kind of a big moment in time. Yeah. He said, you're really great behind the scenes, but you belong out front. You belong working with people, managing people, and I can't do that for you, but I'm gonna introduce you to someone who can. Okay. Well, it just turned out that it was, at that time, one of the biggest restaurateurs in Chicago, Richard Melman, who owns Lettuce Entertain You, which is big chain. So worked with him and then worked with Mark and Larry Levy and got to travel all over the country and live in lots of great places. Uh, so at this point you're not regretting dropping out of college. No, <laughs> never regret it. And you never have. Okay. No, I never regret it. That's amazing. No, but that was just for me. That was my story. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, and then that's how I ended up in Nashville. So okay. Levy signed a partnership with Gaylord Entertainment to take over as the operating partner of the Wild Horse Saloon down on 2nd Avenue. Okay. Uh, and I was brought in as part of the team, the turnaround team to turn around. So got to Nashville in 93 um, and worked for a year in the biggest country music nightclub, not having any exposure to country music other than 
my mother played the Gambler album from Kenny Rogers, like a broken record. So I knew that. Okay. That was my extent <laughs> of it. country music. That was it. Um, and a little Willie Nelson, but that literally was it. Yeah. So I got to Nashville, had no idea what I was getting into, um, but knew the business well enough. Mm-hmm. So went in as um, the AGM around the food operations okay. and redesigned the restaurants, worked with the team that was there, um, and really got experience in the music industry. It was my first sort of exposure to the business side of music. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time, just met an incredible amount of people, everyone from agents to uh, performers, celebrities, to the guys that do the load-in, sound check, you know, the guys driving the trucks with all the gear. Yeah. Uh, so it was a great sort of indoctrination in the music business, which is what led to my next move in the business, which was really, again, going a little bit more on the freelance side. I taught myself how to code and started okay. working in. Awesome in digital marketing before there was really a title for it, right? Yeah. So I worked for the national scene for a while, um, taught them how to take classifieds online and make a bunch of money out of it. So worked it with them for a while, which was really cool. And uh, that's when I met Mark Montgomery. Okay. Yeah. So before we continue, I'm just curious, how did you teach yourself how to code? So I discovered this thing called the internet at okay. that point. I've heard of and that. people were starting to market on it. I mean, uh-huh. it's still the early 90s. Yep, so totally. it was the wild, wild west, right? Yep. Um, people were starting to market on it. And I figured I had to learn what that was about. Okay. And so I And a lot of people were ignoring it, thinking yeah. it was a fad. Too. Yeah. So you were like, this is legit. This I'm is gonna, something. Yeah. I need to pay attention to it. Yeah. And I want to learn it. And so I just, it wasn't like you'd go to school and get taught how to code for computers. Yeah, yeah. you're like the pioneer, I have to imagine, in in that at the time, especially for females. Yeah, there wasn't, Yeah, there weren't any of us. Um, And so it was a really cool opportunity for me, and and I wanted to learn it, right? Um, And now I've forgotten most of of that. (laughs) But it it was a great experience, and it gave me the next kind of move forward. So I went to work for Mark Montgomery, than most people know. Uh, if you've been in Nashville for any period of time, he's sort of the tech and music entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, at Echo Music in its really early days, so I was like employee number 36, I think. Okay. Which is really cool because, again, Echo Music at that time was one of the five companies in the country that was selling music and merchandise to fans before iTunes existed. Okay. Right? So, again, Digitally. Wild Wild West. Yeah. Napster, MySpace. Yeah. I mean, it was the wild, wild west. And we were the first company to really mine that data and find patterns in that data around consumer preferences. Yeah. I mean, it's permission marketing, right? This is podcast version two, three, four, and five with Sloan Scott (laughs) at a date, later date, two weeks later. That's that's what it was, right? Yeah, that's awesome. You were really looking at... How do you take and what do you learn from that data and how people are behaving with it, interacting with it, using it to purchase things? I mean, people were buying records, merchandise, fan club membership. Were your minds just blowing at this point? Because oh, yeah. we're the first, we're some of the first people ever to be doing this. We're getting data around how consumers are buying music. 
it was real crazy. data digitally, yeah. like where people aren't guessing and just yeah. going off of. I mean, in terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of it. Yeah. I mean, it was That's a so lot cool. of data. And the cool thing was is that it was also really my first experience at working inside a startup culture. Mm -hmm. um, and Mark, if I'd say anything, I'd say the legacy that Mark left from Echo Music was the importance of that culture inside a startup. Okay. I mean, we were at a house on 16th Avenue with, you know, pinball machines in the basement and coders everywhere <laughs> who were an anomaly at that time yeah. too. Yeah. And, you know, the Americana Music Association was up in the second floor in one little room and, you know, dogs running everywhere and coffee all the time and it was the early days. How bad do you wish you had a video of that? Like, um, we're just talking about documenting oof, stuff, right? I'm almost glad we don't. Oh, really? <laughs> You're glad it's not on YouTube yeah, somewhere? Yeah, I'm glad there's oh, okay, really no. very little documentation <laughs> of it other than you have to take my word for okay, it. Okay, gotcha. Right, because those enough. were the early days, you yeah. know, and it was the music business and it was... You know, it was a very, very busy, fast-changing time. I mean, it was a point in time when, you know, everybody did things the same way on Music Row. You had, you know, you had agents, you had publicists, you had song pickers, you put an album out on the same day, and by the way, the same day that the album comes out, the new website comes out. The attached to the new website comes, the CD goes out, right? right? I mean, yeah. there was a very sort of scientific approach to it yeah and it was this is how it works and it's tried and true and this is what we know right but I think what we had a bird's eye view into at Echo that most people didn't is how fast that was going to change okay because technology was changing that yeah and consumers were changing it because we had that data to be able to look at it and go whoa yeah so for example as others were going through that sort of rinse, wash, rinse, repeat process, mm -hmm. you and Mark and others were looking at, hey, there's other consumer trends over here, like Napster and some of these other things that, right. ways people were getting music. Right, right. not only music. ways they were getting music, but the intelligence that we were collecting behind the scenes okay. around <clears throat> those preferences. Gotcha. You know, and I think that was where you know, kind of fast forward a couple of years later, we took that data, and I remember one of the conversations Mark and some of the other guys and, and I had, um, and that was that, you know, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. This data is actually worth something. So, but who's it yeah. worth something to? It's worth something to brands. Mm -hmm. So for us, when we started that, we started a sponsorship and endorsement division inside of Echo, and part of that was really taking the data and being able to say to a brand, listen, we have the consumer preferences. We yeah. actually have, we know how to get to these people. And we know the kind of messaging and content they'll react to. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, was a game changer for us. We were really lucky in our first partnership from that perspective. And it was one of, the, I believe, and I'm not sure this is 100% correct, right. but. I think it's close. I believe we were one of the first companies to do a digital device embed. So okay. we did a deal with uh, Marcy Allen, who owns Mac Presents, um, another really talented music entrepreneur, and BlackBerry and John Mayer. Okay. So BlackBerry was coming out with a phone called The Curve. Okay. And most people only remember iPhones, but really, yeah. Blackberries are actually 
the phone that created apps. There were apps on BlackBerry. Yeah, I remember. I, had, I remember. IPhone, right? I remember. I had a BlackBerry. Right? Yeah. We all did, yeah. right? The wheel. The we wheel had inside. We all had it, right? We all the, had uh, the gray screen. screen. Yep. Oh, it was so cool. Yeah, it, yeah. it was like it was like the early version I had the of the blue like, one. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. And Curve was the next version. Yeah. Curve was the younger, cooler, like hipper sleeker, version. Gray. Sleeker and smaller. Yeah. Right. It was that was you know. Yeah. We'd moved on from the wheel. Totally. So when the curve came out, we embedded a million copies of Continuum, Mayer's album that really made him, Amazing. right? Yeah. In the phone. So when you turned on the phone, all of a sudden you already had music in your phone. Nice. Yeah. So that, and what we did is we became, Echo became kind of the digital marketing arm behind the tour using okay. Ticketmaster data. So we mined all the Ticketmaster data. We did a partnership with Ticketmaster. We ended up acquiring Echo later on. Okay. And, you know, we, we mined all the ticket data of fans who had bought tickets to John Mayer concerts and used that to propel the tour. And then Amazing. took all the intelligence around it to inform BlackBerry about what apps to actually spend time adding to or what apps to get rid of or what was missing. Um, so that was a really unique way back then yeah. to be able to sort of position. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Not only is it, yeah, like, it's it's way ahead of its time because there's still companies that don't even necessarily do it to that no, extent, you know? No, And so you guys, yeah, you guys killed it. Yeah, yeah so it was, it was and we were, you know, we, we were learning too. Yeah, you yeah. know, we that's were, great. We so, were something so much fun. It was, it was crazy. I'm sure you didn't sleep very much and no. all that good stuff. But no, I'm sure and, and there were some funny, like, you know, I, I always tell, everybody has always asked me in, like, interviews, like, what was your biggest failure? Yeah. What, where yeah. was that moment where, like, did you ever have that, like, that watershed mistake moment? And I had, in my career, one of my biggest watershed moments. Oh, was yeah? In Echo. I won't give it away now. We'll save it for another time. Save but. it for, okay, because, well, this is just version one. <laughs> But it's a very, very funny story. <laughs> okay. and it's, it's something I'm, I learned a lot from okay. around, or, you know, later on in my career. That's very cool. Okay, so um, we talked a little bit about uh, talking about positives and negatives to digital marketing yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, what are some things that you think are right with what you're seeing? What's going well right now that you that either you're experiencing with Punching Dumb Group and some of your clients or um, that you see others doing that you feel like are, are good good things to do, best practices? What do you feel like sure. the best practices are that are happening right now? You know, it's interesting because I think technology is evolving so rapidly that I don't even know that we have the chance to really measure best practices the way that we used to. Mm -hmm. I think it's become a much more personalized approach to digital marketing and that's one of the things I see that is changing how we market across the board whether it's digital marketing print marketing whatever it is I think this the era of personalization and really feeling as if you're speaking to me as a consumer and I have control over how I decide to interact with you or buy from you um, I mean technology is changing preferences I think without people even realizing their preferences are being changed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's interesting about that is you look at the big players, right? You look at the Amazons of the world. I mean, before Facebook, we knew MySpace existed, but we didn't call it social media. Right. Right? So, you know, when you think about that and you think about where technology came from, in digital marketing, it's all about the audience you're talking to. 
Right. Yeah. And so depending on who that is and how you personalize that conversation, well, that really impacts what channels you're going to use. And I think we've gone from an era of spray and pray, like do everything yeah. because everybody else is doing it. We need to be everywhere to hyper focus. Okay. Which is where I think moving forward, that's where the business is going to go. I mean, Mark taught me a, a quote earlier, early on at Echo Music that I still use today, so I'll give him credit for it because that's where it belongs. But he said, you know, everything has to contract first to expand. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what's happening now is you're seeing this contraction sure. of focusing less of spending a lot of money more about around focus spend, learn from it, fine tune it, because that's the other thing I think that's happening is that at no other time in history have we been able to measure as quickly yeah. as we can today, especially in digital marketing. Yeah. And and optimize as quickly as we can today. Yeah. Um and as cost effectively. So the other thing I think that's happening is that the era of gigantic marketing budgets and massive agency pitches and all of that is going away. Okay. And you've experienced that yes. firsthand, you feel like? Yeah. And I, that's music to my ears because I feel like that's how it should be and that's what's in the best interest of yeah. the brands and the, and the small businesses. The, if you're a mom and pop shop or a solopreneur or whatever, all the way up to the largest brands, like we should all be spending our money in the wisest possible way. Right. And so to hear you say that is music to my ears. And it's interesting that you said uh, what you said about being able to look at the data and, and, ex and basically pivot or make moves quickly on what's happening. Because right. I certainly feel like the expectations as a digital marketer from our clients are right in line with that. You know, right. and, and, that, and, that, and that's where I feel like they should be. Uh, so it's good to hear you say that. What are some of the things that you're dealing with right now? Like, um, what are some of the things that Punching Nun Group gets, uh, what are common challenges that Punching Nun Group gets from prospective clients or current clients in terms of how to focus? So you talked about right. focusing. How do you take them, how do you take them to contraction, mm. uh, generally speaking, and, and so that they can then expand out from there? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. What I would say is, is that, you know, every client is different, but they have similarities within you know the business models mm -hmm. what we find a lot at, at punching Nun group is a lot of the companies that we work with are very successful to get to that next level right there's been some occurrence that's happened to get to that next level it's really calibration more than it's throw it out and start it over mm -hmm. it's really this this idea of calibrating and fine-tuning um, we live in an era where you don't get to decide what value you deliver to the market. You know who decides that? Google. Okay. Google. Yeah. Google decides who you are. Yeah. When you when you set up a, a LinkedIn profile, you take a lot of time looking at what industry am I going in. Yeah. Right. It's that same thought process. It's your audience decides. Yeah. You may be directionally correct and almost right. But inevitably, it's your audience and the buyers. Yeah. And really what we find is it's just bringing that buyer perspective and taking what they've done and focusing it in mm -hmm. on what's the value they provide, what problems do they solve. 
you know, and, and being able to say it in a way that resonates with that audience. So that's where that personalization comes from. Yeah. I think a lot of times in, uh, not just in healthcare, but even in consumer brands as well, which I've worked in that quite a bit, we forget that we're talking to human beings. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. Tech is great, and I'm the biggest geek alive, so tech is great, but it just enables you to do something. It doesn't fix things. It doesn't, you know, you might be able to put a little, you know, sensor pad on your head and tell your temperature, but it's not going to drive you to the store and get you cold medicine. Right. Now, can you order that cold medicine from Amazon? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you get where I'm going with it. Totally. Right? It, yeah. It's really that, that piece of it, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in. I think that's where... That's where the rubber meets the road, right? And then instead of doing 20 things around that marketing approach, do three. Yeah. And do them well. You know, where, where I think a lot of companies get caught up is they forget to own their own backyard first. Mm -hmm. It's a growth, grow, grow, grow. Um, and it's, it's a phrase I use a lot uh, personally is that, you know, there's a way to honor those that brought you up to the dance and fill up a new dance card at okay. the same time. Okay. I love, yeah, I love everything you're saying. Does that make think, sense? Yeah. I, yeah, totally. I think that um, it's, it's definitely, uh, well, what you said about, um, what, what did you just say? I love what you said a minute ago about um, the dance speaking card. to humans. Yeah. Speaking to humans, uh, what resonates for me with that is that I think a lot of um, folks who have, I mean, whether or not they've been in their job for one year, 10 years, 20 years, uh, the commonality that I see is um, they, have a, they have a sales goal or a revenue goal mm -hmm. to try to achieve. A lot of times it comes from an arbitrary number. Um, mm -hmm. I think with maybe some brands or companies that you work with, it sounds like maybe it doesn't come from an arbitrary number. There's a little bit more thought process behind it, which is great. But however that breaks down, when you get down to, okay, how do you even begin to grow your revenue? It starts with speaking to humans who are your customers, understanding them, and how do you do that? Right. And what I see is getting from, we've got this revenue goal, let's bring on this marketing team or this agency or or unagency, anti-agency, to help us with this. How can we mix together our, our recipe to all of a sudden grow our revenue number? Well, what's, what's missing is, is like translating this company jargon mm -hmm. about growing our revenue and our value proposition to what the customer actually cares about. Absolutely. And to me, like when you said speaking to a human being, that's what I think of is like, get past the company jargon, get past all the value propositions and acronyms that you all talk about, and translate that into this is how we can help you solve your problem, but do it in a way consistently where it's more entertaining or thought-provoking or... Problem-solving. Problem-solving, emotional, uh, mm -hmm. like kind of getting you on an emotional level, pulling mm -hmm. at your heartstrings. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know, any, any like, uh, good examples or best examples of things you want to share, uh, that like, to, like, to getting there, like, yeah. getting... So one of the work. things, I had the 
uh, great benefit when I was a co-founder at Flow to work with probably one of the best wordsmiths I've ever met. Okay. So a guy named Kid Red, who okay. you may have been familiar with. So Kid taught me the value of less is more from a words perspective mm-hmm. um, and how to do it with some personality and how to do it in a way that says what you need it to say, but in one sentence without a comma. So that's really what I've spent a lot of time doing and, and what we at, at Punching Nun Group. If you get the message right and, and you get the, the brand right, the sales problem will fix itself. Yep. It, it, totally. it will. It will yeah. fix itself. And you'll calibrate because you learn. Yep. Every time you work with a new customer with that client, you learn. They're, and they're your best resource, yeah, right? Is totally. clients who have had a great relationship and understand that it's a partnership and it's not just a transaction. So that's the other thing I think, going back to the original part of the question, you know, when you're looking at where is marketing and going, marketing is always attached to sales. I mean, a punching number, when people ask us how are we measured, it's one answer. We're measured on how many needs we deliver. Yeah. That's it. It's not 20 KPIs, it's one. Now there might be some KPIs behind it, but it's one, that's it. That's how we're measured. And so with those two pieces always intertwined, it's always thinking about, all right, what what are salespeople learning out in the field that we can take that intelligence and turn it into a meaningful message for the client so they can benefit from it? What are the right tools to create? It, mm-hmm. It's not about creating more of them. It's about creating yeah, totally. the right ones and Love what it. the audience will ingest. And then just that constant calibration. I know it's a word I've used, yeah. but it's there's a discipline behind that. And I think having that type of disciplined approach to what you create and, and how you talk about it is where the industry is going. Yeah. Love it. And so it's clear to me in talking to you that you've spent thousands of hours uh, doing the work. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and because and it only you know you you can only have this type of experience and be like you guys say the resident adult, um, <laughs> right? So Very. so but, yes. uh, but I know what that means. I mean, it means that like you you do have the chops, you do have the experience, um, and really what it means to me is accountability. It's hard mm-hmm. to find people. In my experience, it's very hard to find people, even at some of the best places I've ever worked for or at, who are truly accountable. Like who truly, like when you say we're, we're held to one thing and that's how many leads do we generate, and when you say we're the resident adults, and then just even talking to you, it's like, okay, Sloan is accountable, Amanda clearly accountable, and that's, uh, I, I believe, and I might be, like, I'm an optimist, but this might be the pessimistic side of me coming through. In my experience, it's super hard to find people who are truly accountable for achieving goals, either at the client level or the agency level. Mm-hmm. What, and um, I'm wondering your take on that, but then also we talked about a little bit, uh, before the podcast, we talked about kind of being the unagency, mm-hmm. if you will. Sure. Seems like something. Well, I'll just, I won't speak for you. It's something I'm proud of. I, I don't think that. So, just for the record, like I don't think agencies are bad. No. But I, I don't think that they're the right fit for all kinds of businesses, and I think that there are a lot of businesses out there who don't know 
that there's other options other than going to a quote-unquote agency. And I think that they're... um, We're moving out of an era where... You made this point, but I believe we're moving out of this era where that's the only option. Mm. And so I don't want to take... I don't want to steal your thunder on that because you made some good points, but... Talk about any of that. <laughs> yeah, so I'll start, let me say it. I'll start at the beginning. So the, what I would say is that when I talk about being the res- resident adults or that disciplined approach, right, and that accountability, um, that is something that, you know, I, I really learned from Amanda. So I'm very blessed that I've been able to work alongside someone as smart and talented as she is, but she's also very pragmatic, and she's been in the business and has the industry knowledge. She is that expertise. And you know what I bring to the table is another perspective, another point of view, which is also valuable, but different, mm-hmm. right? And so I think the other piece of that, and my point there is, that it's also about surrounding yourself with people who complement you with that same discipline, that same accountability, mm-hmm. right? Because if you hold yourself to that standard, then finding other people that also hold you to that standard is really important. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Amanda would say it really comes from her background of servant leadership and mm-hmm. why she founded Punching Home Group and mm-hmm. the principles behind that. But a lot of that is that transparency and that accountability, right? And, yeah. and that discipline. And it, you know, it also speaks to where we're going, which is the second part of the question, yeah. which is we're in the freelance economy now, yeah. right? It, to your point, agencies, there are some incredibly talented people inside agency walls. Um, agencies now, I believe, are much more of a stepping stone for for individuals. You know, they can learn and hone their craft there, mm-hmm. um, and really begin to sort of build out what they think their career is going to look like. But careers in what we do for a living today yeah. are completely different than they were even five years ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the days of huge retainers and clients that stay with you for 20 years and that's gone it just doesn't exist and i think technology's played a role in that i think there have been a lot of factors but when you look at the freelance economy and and nashville is certainly embracing that to the fullest extent yeah it's also to me a breath of fresh air because what it means is you can work with a lot of different individuals who bring a different tone of voice and there's not that sense of sameness all the time yeah you get a different perspective you get a different talent you get a different skill set and all of that and when you find people who are really talented and passionate about what they do there's something about when you tap that person to bring them into a project or a retain however that works for your business um it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. It's a different perspective that you don't have. It's something that they have to bring to the table. And that's something that when Amanda built Punching Non Group, that's what she did. It was finding people who are really talented and disciplined about yeah. what they do and letting them do it. Yeah. And and the great thing about people who do that, they're changing so much about people's lives 
And you've helped me see that perspective through this conversation. And also from a business standpoint, they're allowing everyone who's doing business with them to get more value. Yes. Because they're taking a lot of the overhead costs, unnecessary, whatever it may be, meetings, uh, brick and mortar, fancy stuff in offices, um, yeah. commute times. All of it. All of it is kind of breaking down to the point where let's talk as much as we need to talk, let's do the work, and let's connect to our target audiences, see right. the results, measure the results, and I'll use your word, calibrate. Yeah. I love that word. And you, and, and you just get more value. And not that the work isn't as valuable, not that there's not as much opportunity for, for people like us to make money. It's sure. actually... It should be more opportunity I agree. for everybody to make yeah. money because uh, if we can break down all these unnecessary time, time is money and, and hard costs, right. then we should all be able to focus on the work and, and driving results. Right, and again, it goes back to that part of the human conversation. You're still dealing with people, right? Yeah. You're building a partnership. You're collaborating with people who have got different goals and different dreams and different things that they're held accountable to, right? Yeah. And so, you know, as you build with any relationship, as you build that partnership with a client, the more value you bring, the stronger the partnership gets. And when it, when there's always that moment in time when it's ready for you both to move on, well, if you've done your job right, you've put some goodness out there in the world, you've proved what you said you were going to do, that comes back. Yeah. I'm just a firm believer in it. It always does. I totally agree. I think that doing the right thing is not only, well, my experience is, you know, you, you have a tough phone conversation with someone, and, and in my mind, I always reflect on this, you can go one route, you can go one of two routes. One is, you can be a, you know, you can make your point, kind of, you can say, uh, this is this is how it is, this is how it's going to be, and then there's a way to... Um, Make make your point and make your decision and communicate it in a way that is going to be productive and collaborative right. towards the human side of things and not, not make the other, don't tear the other person down. And, and I'll be honest, like in my, uh, I guess, uh, 17 or 18 years working in the business world, I I would choose the the first way a lot, and then I would feel like crap, you know. I feel like why did I like that doesn't feel right. And so to me, it's just like this barometer of if you do what feels right, you do the right thing, it's gonna come around. It does. And, and even and like sometimes people don't think that immediately it's gonna come around, but it's like well, just in feeling better about yourself, walking away from that situation, it starts to come around. So um, to me, that's kind of like. Uh, what resonates in terms of just doing the right thing and that, that human aspect of everything. Right. Well, I think it's, it's again, it goes back to sort of that calibration discussion, right? Which yeah. is, there's a measured way to do it, yeah. and there's a way to be able to share your point of view without having to talk over someone, yeah. and, and there's a way to sort of share your perspective that's constructive. That's right. Yeah. You have this amazing way of wordsmithing. I feel like exactly what I'm trying to say, so I appreciate that. Um, I've learned a ton from you today. Um, 
and I hope we get the opportunity to work with you. Oh, I love it. This point. is fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for watching and listening to the Paul Hickey podcast. Hopefully we can have Sloan back another time because I feel like we could talk for hours and hours. Yeah, we but had fun. Thank you for your time. You got it. Thanks for listening to the Paul Hickey Podcast. I truly appreciate your ear. Hope you have a great day and hope you enjoyed this episode.